And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 202 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, at time of recording 11.06 a.m. on July 12, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello everyone. Lauren LaMagna. Good morning. Dan Baer. Good morning. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Rebecca Daniel. Hey, everyone. And Tom O'Brien. Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. What? 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 <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Stand back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. So thank you all for being here today. It's been a very, very interesting uh, last couple of days, not just in the film world, uh, but just in the world in general. Um, It seems like, you know, as we keep saying almost every week during this pandemic, it seems like new information is always coming out all the time. And as a result, the film industry is having to react. So we have uh, a couple of, you know, news bits that we're going to touch upon for today's episode. We're also going to discuss the trailers that dropped for Tesla, starring Ethan Hawke, um, and She Dies Tomorrow, uh, which is a new film coming out from Neon. And we're also going to be delivering, get ready, I I know people are going to laugh at me when I say this, we're going to actually hold ourselves accountable, and we're going to deliver our first grand Oscar prediction proclamations of the year. I say this because I think it will be really fun if we bookmark this episode and look back later on and we can point at each other and be like, oh my God, you were 100% right. That actually came to fruition. Or, oh my God, you were so wrong. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah, I feel like by <laughs> fun, you mean funny and hysterical. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, gonna, yeah, definitely bite us in the ass at some point, I'm sure. But <laughs> I thought it would be a lot of fun to have a uh, preliminary discussion. Not to mention too, we're gonna actually start getting our first actual real predictions up on the website, uh, starting uh, probably within the next couple of days, actually, uh, just for the uh, above the line categories. We'll do below the line later on when things start to become a little bit more clear. But we'll start off with above the line. And also, too, one other housekeeping announcement as well. Um, the 2014 retrospective uh, that we've been doing with our podcast reviews, we're actually going to be sending out the ballots uh, this week for the uh, community to vote on. And of course, the uh, internal MVP film awards for the team as well. So, Everybody will be able to get a chance to vote on their nominations for that, and um, really looking forward to it. So, let's start things off here by going around the room. Michael, what did you catch up on this week? Because boy, oh boy, was there a lot. <laughs> yeah, so there definitely was a lot. I saw one of the new movies, and then a movie from many, many years ago that I was catching up with for the first time. So I'm actually going to start with that one. Uh, I've been continuing my deep dive into Spike Lee's filmography, or the Spike Lee joints, if you will. And I watched School Days back from the late 1980s. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was uh, very interesting. It's uh, 
actually almost like a Spike Lee musical, believe it or not. So that was unique to see. You know, I know his next movie has some sort of musical element tied to it. So if it's anything like what he did here, he has a very sharp eye for this type of stuff. So, yeah, it was, you know, very much a Spike Lee joint. But, you know, the eye that he has to some of this material is very impressive. So I enjoyed that. And then for the new movies, I haven't seen Greyhound yet. I haven't seen The Old Guard yet. I haven't seen First Cal yet, but they're all on the list. I'll be getting to them sooner than later. But I did get to see Palm Springs this past week. I watched that on Friday night. And I know the world loves it. I know film Twitter loves it. I know it broke all the records. God Sundays. damn it, Michael. <laughs> I thought it was just okay. I, I think you're even being generous when you say no, that. You know what? It's very minor. It's very charming. I love Kristen Meliotti and Andy Samberg. Both talented. The rest of the cast is great. It's a great ensemble. You have Peter Gallagher, J.K. Simmons, June Squibb. Dale Dickey, all, all these great character actors in this movie. It was nice to see them. It's sharp. It's intelligent. It didn't grab me. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Groundhog Day is on now. <laughs> I don't have the energy to, like, you know, yell at you today, so. <laughs> I didn't dislike it. You know, if we were doing a review, I'd say, like, 6 out of 10. It's not a bad movie. It's just, you know, it didn't grab me the way it did others. I'm totally, totally joking with you by the way because uh josh parm i know watched it as well and he we did our podcast review and he too was like kind of like in the same ballpark as well so i get it totally understandable i mean it's that lonely island humor uh i know that you know sometimes it works for some people sometimes it doesn't i did love pop star though i'll say that i would watch pop star again oh god i need to revisit pop star it's just so much fun all righty let's continue lauren what'd you catch up on this week when it comes to movies, this week has been great because it feels like a normal week again because there's multiple things out and it's made me a little bit more happier. Um, I did catch The Old Guard as the day it dropped and I honestly think Charlize Theron can do no wrong. She's so cool and I think it's a really cool and interesting and badass movie to watch and I think it'll make people just forget about the world that we're in. And then... I did catch Palm Springs late last night, and I thought it was fantastic. And I normally don't go for this kind of humor, or I'm normally not into, you know, the time loop because we see it all the time. But I really did love it. I laughed the most during this movie. It was a perfect length, and it was my big surprise of the year thus far. Not to mention we're living in a time loop, it feels we like. We are. <laughs> and when he's like, does time matter? Is it real? We're just here. And I was like, yes. Pretty much. I related a lot. Yeah. Josh Parm? Uh, so I actually ended up catching up with a lot of stuff this week, actually. Um, I did see the new releases of Palm Springs, which we did have a podcast review on, so you can get my full thoughts there. Uh, I did also see The Old Guard, which... I, I'm not going to go into too much detail because we are going to talk about it later, but uh, I did also enjoy that one quite a bit, too, and was actually a bit surprised by how much um, I enjoyed it. I think it's a very good action movie that's actually pretty smart with its characters and its themes, too, which was nice. Uh, a good reason why you should probably hire more women to direct action movies, in my opinion. <laughs> um, uh And then outside of that, I caught up with just some random older movies. Um I took care of a blind spot that I had never seen before, which is The Witches. Oh. Oh. Yeah, because it showed up on Netflix, and I had never seen this one before and decided to finally take care of that. And I don't think 
it's a great movie. I think me not having the nostalgia for it probably dings it a bit, but there are some crazy visuals in that movie that, mm-hmm. uh, like, I- I'm sort of shocked that this doesn't show up on more of those, like, movies that traumatized me as a kid list, because <laughs> I-, I could definitely it, see it. <laughs> it traumatized me as a child, let me tell you. That prologue sequence uh, yeah. creeped me the fuck out. Yeah, there's some wild stuff in that movie. So it was interesting to watch it from that perspective. Um, And then the other thing that I did end up seeing was a movie that I think came out last year called Wounds. Oh, my God. Yeah, with Army Hammer. Yeah. Josh, Josh, really quick, a little context here. Will Mavity and I saw that movie at Sundance. And it started off promisingly and because, you know, because of the cast and everything. And we were just like kind of we were very excited for it. After a few minutes, I'll never forget the look Will and I like we both turned our heads and looked at each other and non-verbally exchanged this glance of this is really bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I will say that I think the movie has some really great like imagery and atmosphere to it. I thought that was extremely well done, but it all just sort of leads up to nothing in my opinion. And I think that's where most of my frustration was. So I didn't hate it. I certainly heard that it had a reputation of being like God awful. I don't think it was God awful. I think there's actually some really interesting craft on display in that movie, particularly for like a more atmospheric horror movie. But it just, like I said, didn't really add up to much. And that was very disappointing to me. So it had some interesting things in it, but overall, it, I agree, it wasn't that great of a film. Yeah, yeah. All righty, Rebecca. I watched Hamilton again because yes. I <laughs> cannot get enough of that right now. Um, and I also watched Palm Springs last night, and it was a little bit of a disappointment for me just because of all the hype it's been getting on Twitter and stuff. I just, I don't know. I think Groundhog Day it's kind of like the same narrative and that groundhog day is something I'd probably rather watch. Um, but I mean, I get why people enjoy it. It's just, wasn't my personal favorite movie, but yeah, I get that. I understand that, you know, I'm not, it's not like the popular opinion, but it's fine. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Absolutely. I think, I think what it comes down to is like, Especially with that movie in particular, the fact that they like really uh, used the Rotten Tomatoes rating in the trailer saying it was like 100 percent and stuff. And I I will admit, like, it's one of those things where the hype was pretty big, especially out of Sundance being the highest acquisition title and such. And I think people maybe walked into it expecting it to be, you know, like a game changer, like kind of great movie. But what it is really is it's a movie that just people majority like. I don't I, I, I don't know if I'll see it necessarily crack anyone's top 10 this year, but I think that's what, you know, gets confusing sometimes, especially with like Rotten Tomatoes scores when they see a high score like that. And they think, oh, my God, like this must be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's not, but it's a likable movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so. I do. Definitely, definitely feel that, especially uh, considering Sundance has been known uh, to have hype that builds and builds and builds for months and then when a movie finally releases, people go, oh, that's it? So let's hear now from Dan Bear. Um, so I have been trying to get the most out of my brand spanking new Disney Plus subscription. Nice. That I got for Hamilton. So I watched that 
um, again. I have just sort of like had that on in the background during work a lot, <laughs> as opposed to playing the um, original cast recording on my computer. I just put the Hamilton, the movie on my TV um, and turn around every once in a while to watch certain scenes, which is fun. Um, but mostly it's just been like watching childhood favorites and movies that I haven't seen in years over and over again. Um, despite the fact that I own most of them on DVD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel that um, the the one that I the one that I feel most compelled to give a shout out to right now is the Rocketeer. Oh wow, oh, yeah, which so good. is so good and deserves to be um, known a lot better than it is. I think um, I love Timothy Dalton in that movie so much. It's so much fun. It's just um superhero movie set in old Hollywood and it's great. It's super entertaining. Um, and I watched Palm Springs for a second time. Uh, and you can hear my more detailed thoughts about that on the podcast review. But I, I think that like it's real, this is a future cult classic sort of movie. It, it see it has those vibes. It gave me that vibes when I first watched it, and given how well it holds up to a second viewing, I feel even more confident in saying that. Yeah. Uh, and then last night I watched The Old Guard, and I, I'll keep most of my thoughts to myself since we're going to be doing a full review of it um, on a future podcast. But it was okay. You sound a little guarded in your response there, but I understand why, considering the podcast <laughs> reviews tomorrow. So I'll let it slide. <laughs> I, I, I mostly like this movie just made me mad because Ooh. in the first like 10 minutes, I was like, oh, this would have been so good on the big screen. Yeah, I, I feel <laughs> like that. But not- also, Dan, I walked away from it, Dan, thinking this would make one hell of a television show someday. That's Maybe. No. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I, w- I want to save that discussion for tomorrow. Yeah, I will say, I will say the um, the stinger at the end did get an oh shit out of me. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Tom O'Brien. Well, I finally a uh, busy week, too, uh, for me. I uh, finally caught up uh, with uh, Ir- Irresistible. Oh, and, yeah. Um, boy, I'm. <laughs> I hate to kick a movie when it's down. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, if you're John Stewart and you're going to do a political comedy, you got to bring your A plus game, and this is in the C's, unfortunately. I did think uh, I did like Rose Byrne a lot in it. I'd like to see that character. I, I, I so wish the movie funny. was about her. Yeah. Um, and I finally saw Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Oh yay! Yay at last. Uh, it's a, it's the dictionary definition of a great independent film. It's just just staggeringly great, and uh, I you know it's it's way way up there on my list now for uh, 2020. I did see a couple of uh, newer things, a uh, documentary called John Lewis, Good Trouble. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, it's a CNN documentary. Uh, it's very much in the mode of RBG. <laughs> It, it's a real it's a real love letter to him. And frankly, I wouldn't want to see a movie that trashed John Lewis. Uh, you know, he's just a remarkable person with a remarkable life, you know, having been beaten on the bridge in Selma and 
becoming an active, really prominent civil rights activist and uh, now 17 terms in Congress. And he's really kind of the elder statesman in the House of Representatives and quite a good dancer. So uh, <laughs> it's I think if you're a you know, political junkie, there's nothing really new here that you don't know about John Lewis already. But it's uh, one of those RBG feel good documentaries that uh, when it comes on CNN, um, you know, by all means, uh, take a look at. And uh, I did catch Palm Springs uh, being a full time resident of Palm Springs. I <laughs> looked at it with a jaundiced eye. Yeah, there isn't, as you know, you'd be not surprised, there isn't a single Palm Springs shot or reference in it. You know, it's, it must be like what New Yorkers think when, uh, you know, uh, New York movies and all of a sudden it's all Vancouver. You know, it's like, okay, mm. fine. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the film a lot. Uh, it, it, I suspect it'll wear very well. And I, you know, a couple of the, the team members I've mentioned already that they've seen it twice. Uh, Sandberg, I, I was very surprised by Andy Sandberg. I thought he'd be one of those. He, I could take or take or leave him on, on SNL. Um, and the Lonely Island stuff some is hit and miss sometimes for me. But I was surprised how he really held the film together as the leading man. And uh, I it may be a very promising new career if you can find material of this caliber. Or Absolutely same, Tom. I, generally speaking, don't like him, but he's very charming in this. Yeah. But Kristen Milioti, my mm-hmm. God, she's fabulous in this. Uh, it's, I had seen her on stage on Broadway many years ago in Once, the musical based on the movie. Um, yeah. Which she was nominated for a Tony Award for. Nothing in that, though, possibly could show me what uh, what she does here. Um, she's a wonderful comic actress, impeccable timing. I can't wait to see more of what she does. Nice. Nice. Okay. Very quickly for me. Um, I rewatched Hamilton for like the fifth time. I'm obsessed with it. I need someone to tell me if there is a cure for this because I don't know what to do. (laughs) I am addicted. Um, I also watched Greyhound, uh, which I thought was perfectly okay. I think the music helped a lot it's got a very nostalgic 90s-esque score that i really really enjoyed and it kind of like harkened back to you know your quintessential dad movie of the 90s it feels like the sort of thing that would always get played on like tnt and i love the fact that it was like mercifully uh short as well and tom hanks is tom hanks it's not a great performance or anything like that but he carries the movie and um yeah, I was I was actually surprised by some of the action sequences, the suspense and the tension, and I didn't expect it to be good, but it, it was pleasantly good. So there you go. Uh, watched The Old Guard, and that was like a mixture for me in, a, in some ways. Like there are definitely some things I would hold against it for sure, but the thing that I was most fascinated by was the lore of the movie and how much potential it has for not just a sequel, which is inevitably coming. But like I said, I really feel that they could take this and make a really, really great television show out of it someday since it spans centuries and you can follow these same characters through these time periods, maybe have a season be um, a particular time period. It's really, really interesting. And we'll talk more about it tomorrow. And I also, Oh, no, I didn't get a chance. Damn it. I I did rewatch Palm Springs again for the podcast, but I didn't get a chance to watch Relic yet, which I 
I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I missed it at Sundance. I've missed it every opportunity to see it since, and I'm still missing it. Uh, but I am, I swear to God, watching it this evening. So I can't wait. <laughs> I've been like dying to see this movie. So I, I'm like super, super excited. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. One of the things I want to transition into actually right off the top here is I actually want to go into what this week's poll is because it is centered around this really big weekend that we've had for movies. Um, A lot of people caught on to the fact that this was probably, you know, the best weekend for releases that 2020 has seen so far. So I figured let's dive into that a little bit. Let's ask everyone which new film released this weekend was their favorite. They have all week to vote on this. We'll reveal the uh, results next week. But the choices are The Beach House, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, First Cow, Greyhound, Guest of Honor, The Old Guard, Much Ado. uh, I'm sorry, not Much Ado About Nothing, but Mucho Mucho Amor. Palm Springs, Relic, and We Are Little Zombies. Some of these uh, people have heard of, some of them you haven't heard of. Um, they are all accessible right now at the moment. And, you know, one movie that um, we didn't really touch upon actually is First Cow, which that's a movie that's uh, had a very interesting release. Telluride, NYFF, <laughs> various film festivals, a very, very tiny release the week of the shutdown, where if you were in yeah. a limited uh, city, a uh, limited area, you were able to catch it, but then all of a sudden it was gone. So everybody's been waiting for A24 to release that one, and now it is available on VOD um, uh, for $19.99 rental, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, great list, great lineup here. Uh, we've kind of already gone through some of them, so I'm not going to ask you guys which one's your favorite necessarily. Uh, we'll just read off the results of that when we head into uh, next week. The results from last week, though. Hmm. We asked everyone which film are they most looking forward to in the second half of 2020. Plus two months. Remember, there's an eligibility window. I don't know. I have no idea if we're counting this eligibility window of January, February for 2020 or if it's 2021. I have no idea. <laughs> it, it is forever going to bug the shit out of me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Seriously. Same. Yeah, me too. Okay. But in all seriousness, though, we do have a top 10 for this. Let's hear what the community is most looking forward to in the back half of 2020. Um, I actually will go around and ask, though, Michael, what's the number one movie you cannot wait for uh, that's coming out, hopefully, uh, in the second half of this year? West Side Story. Dan Bear? Uh, um, Mank. Josh Parham? Gotta be on brand and say no time to die. Lauren? Ammonite. Rebecca? Mank. Tom? West Side Story. Okay. Let's hear what the community had to say here. All right, number 10. Number 10 is Charlie Kaufman's new film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Mm. Obviously, want to see that so badly. Number nine, Wonder Woman 1984. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the first Wonder Woman film. I really, really, really cannot wait to see what they do with the sequel, especially uh, Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So looking forward to it. Number eight, 
No Time to Die. All right. I'll take the top ten. Number seven is Soul. Ooh. Obviously. Yeah. And all the different uh, clips that we've been seeing of the animation of that film. I mean, dear Lord, it like heavy Beale Street uh, could talk vibes in regards to just the aesthetics of it and the warm hues. And obviously it having uh, people of color as the as the characters helps, too, with that with that comparison. But man, oh, man, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, number six is Ammonite. I'm ready for Kay Winslet's Ace Oscar nomination. <laughs> <laughs> number five is Mank. Number four, Promising Young Woman. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, that, I, I actually have to change my answer because okay. really it's that. Because we were just supposed to have seen it by now. God damn it. <laughs> Still my favorite film of the year. <laughs> number three. The French Dispatch. Number two, Dune. And number one, Tenet. That is not surprising <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although, can, I will be honest and say, like, I'm a bit surprised, given people's love for Fincher, that Mank is only number five. I, I was just I'm shocked by that, that too. too. I thought that would place much, much higher. I can't believe that Promising Young Woman is above it. <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm, I which I'm like so giddy about. <laughs> that that <laughs> power to you and constantly being like, you guys, you guys, this is the best movie ever. It's a good impression, Dan. <laughs> it's not the best movie ever. It's just it's my favorite film I've seen this year by far. Um, I don't know if anything's going to top it for a while, but we'll see. Uh, so those are the results from last week's poll. Thank you, everyone, for voting on that. Now, what I want to do is I kind of want to take a look at uh, some of the movies that we mentioned here, which I'm sure are going to come up in uh, discussion. It's time, people. I think it's time. It's time for us to say something silly, say something we're going to regret. It's time for us to make some grand Oscar predictions, proclamations, something that we think is going to happen. It can be a win. It could be something getting snubbed. But what is something that right now you just feel in your gut is absolutely going to happen? I'll I'll start so that this way you guys get an idea. So my first one, I've got three. We may not get to everybody's three, but we'll, we'll say as many as we can here. I think No Time to Die is going to get a best picture and a Best Adapted Screenplay nomination. You can't dangle that in front of me, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) How cool. I don't think Daniel Craig will get in there, and I don't think Fukunaga is going to get in director because they typically don't do action films in the director category, unless if you're like the greatest movie of all time status. But I could see, considering how close Skyfall got to a Best Picture nomination, I could see a world where it gets in there. And if it is as good of a movie and a great ending for Daniel Craig's run as the character, then why can't it get an adapted screenplay nomination the same way that Logan did uh, a couple of years ago? So that's my thinking there. I mean, look, obviously would be ecstatic if that were to happen. Uh, I am just going based off of previous trends with the Oscars and Bond, and that just hasn't really panned out for that series in a big way. But Look, I am always optimistic about its chances. So if it were to happen, obviously would be thrilled, but I am skeptical. All right. Who wants to uh, say the next one? I can go next. Sure. So 
I don't know how the category breakdown is going to go. I'm reading the book right now, and they could compete against each other or go in separate categories. But I think Amy Adams and Glenn Close will be nominated for Hillbilly Elegy, and one or both will win depending on where they're placed. Oh, my God, that's my prediction for Ammonite. <laughs> that's funny we're gonna have some competition between those two ladies hey. or four ladies i mean uh four ladies from two films depending on whether they both go lead or both go supporting or split it up i can't imagine that they don't split it up because you just don't see you know those double nominees like you used to especially in lead for am and i, uh, I see winslet going lead and Sersha going supporting yeah that that seems that's right to me which I, is not i, that I think it's I think it's based around Kate Winslet. With Hillbilly Elegy, they could both be viewed as supporting, but I can't imagine Netflix would want to have the two overdue veterans competing against each other when they know they could maybe do both. So based on what I've been reading in the book, I think Amy Adams would be lead. But who knows? But I do think one of them will end up walking away with an Oscar. Yeah, I think it will all depend on whose story, I'm sorry, whose perspective the story is mostly told from in that movie. It's told from the perspective of J.D. Vance. It's him recalling his mother and his grandmother. Then it's a, then it's going to be all about who has the dominating presence in that perspective. Yeah, but they are really great parts. Like, I'm reading this book right now, thinking about how both actresses are going to respond to the material. And, oh, my God, Amy Adams is going to have, like, some, you know, really oscar baby moments here. Can you but imagine like, if we live in a world where during the same Oscar ceremony, Sir Ronan and Amy Adams are, are actresses that win? I can't. I, wow. oh, I can't. Um, I have a prediction that Delroy Lindo will get nominated for supporting actor. Delroy Lindo going supporting. Oh, man. Like, it, it, it's still a very. God, it's a possibility still. It's, yeah. It really is. My money's on that. I can't definitively say it, he should go lead, in my opinion. And I think right now he is in the Viola Davis fences uh, territory where you can make a case for either one. And I think uh, no matter which one he ends up choosing to go with, I think he can get in. Um, this was also like my, my other uh, proclamation. I think Defy Bloods is going to be a sole nomination for Delroy Lindo and nothing else. I agree I with the sole say, nomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could say on July 12th, 2020, that he's going to be in supporting actor. <sighs> okay. It's here. See, I, I feel the discourse changing. Like, I've seen a lot of conversations about him in lead, and I think that's the vibe Netflix is starting to, you know, use in their approach right now. It's hard to okay. say. I mean, it's just difficult. We'll see as it gets closer. I just, I can't tell if it's going to be late or supporting. I feel like if there is a debate, they're going to push him into supporting. I feel like a lot of actors, when there is a debate, they push him in because they think it's quote unquote easier for some reason. And I see that happening here. But lead is also really barren this year. You look at supporting actor and you have, you know, it's taken up by like the cast of the trial of the Chicago seven where best actor, you have Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman. And then it's just sort of, you know, open space from there that's why i have delroy currently in lead because you're, you're right michael there's a lot of empty spaces that people can play with right now so and why not just push him in lead in our predictions and maybe it will kind of influence the perception and then that's ultimately what they decide to go with in the end you know like if we start saying it early now then it will just be a fact it'll be a given okay yeah he's going lead you know what i mean yeah so uh anyone else I, I have two. Um, mm-hmm. One, I'm I'm predicting that 
a nomination for Best Picture will go to Soul. Kind of feeling that. Oh too. man, yeah. No animated films since uh, Up in 2000. Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. Uh, Toy Story three, 2010. Yeah. yeah, but I think this could do it. Yeah. And I have kind of a negative prediction. I mean, you know, the, the original West Side <laughs> Story had uh, Oscar winners and George Shakiris and Rita Moreno. I pr- going to predict that there are no acting nominations from this one. I am see, with I, you, Tom. Yeah. And for me, that's the only way I see you getting something. I low-key don't see West Side Story breaking. And if it did have any shot, it would be acting, and particularly the girls. Well, especially now. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be Ansel. <laughs> nope. And for that, that kind of took me out of it getting like anywhere else, even. Because I, don't, I mm-hmm. feel like I don't see them giving it the picture. I don't see it giving it to Spielberg. I just don't see it happening. Even Ariana DeBose. Yes, we all know yeah. Lauren LeMagna's best, best friend. Best shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll be her date. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I actually have two predictions that I'm packaging together as one, and it's that uh, there are going to be zero combined nominations for West Side Story and for Tenet. Yo, okay. So, Dan, first of all, West Side Story, totally feel you on that. I have a feeling uh, that it's going to get panned. Tenet, though, here's the crazy thing. I was thinking about this just the other day. Um, I was on another podcast, and I uh, this like kind of hit me like a lightning bolt, and it suddenly occurred to me. If Warner Brothers pulls the trigger on Tenet and releases it and it gets super media attention outside of film critic circles, but in the actual news that coronavirus um, uh, infections are spiking uh, across like the country then. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, no matter how freaking good Tenet is, got a 90 some plus yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it is, that mm-hmm. movie's chances will be killed because of that perception. Yeah. It'll be the coronavirus movie. It will be. And I honestly think that the only way it survives, and this is my real my real reason why I'm predicting it for zero nominations, I don't think it comes out until next year. That's very possible, too. You say that about almost every movie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. But, like, I don't think that Warner Brothers is going to hold it and then release it at, like, Christmas time. You know what I mean? It's They're either going to release it as soon as they can this year, like, before October, or they're going to hold it for next summer. Whereas there are other movies that I think studios will hold and reopen around Christmas or, you know, January and trying to get that big last Oscar push. And hey, 2021 needs some movies. I mean, right? It's going to be wide open for blockbusters since none of them have been shooting, you know? I think all the blockbusters should go to 2021 and all of the smaller films should be released now. That's my, uh, that's not an Oscar prediction, obviously, but that's how I feel about the matter. Also, my, my third prediction is that all this that it's going to be the same old movies that everyone has always been predicting that are going to get nominated for Best Picture this year. There's going to oh, be nothing course. interesting, nothing small. It's going all of the hopes and dreams we had back in March, April are going to be completely dashed. I agree. My main bold prediction is that it's going to be the same five to seven films everywhere, just yeah. like last season. And uh, and to piggyback. 
kick off of that, I think it's going to be the lowest rated Oscar ceremony in years. And everyone is going to be, so all the hand wringing, oh, what are the Oscars going to do? <laughs> they, need to, they need to know that going in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can't be seen as a surprise, and then they have a reactionary, uh, you know, like a very, a, a very o- emotional reaction to it. Like y- you just can't. <laughs> my 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 other big big prediction is Netflix will win Best Picture this year. However, I am hesitant to say if it will be Mank or The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I think it all hinges upon what happens on November third. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been saying that for a while that I think that. This year in particular, with how important politics are, is going to play a huge part in what wins Best Picture, because I think that the mood of the country is going to be very dependent on that, which is one of the reasons why I have been leaning towards like West Side Story doing something. I know that that's not a uh, consensus opinion. But you know what? At this point, I'm going to stick with it because who the hell knows what's going to happen the rest of the year. I have completely out to see <laughs> in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. But you know what? Why not? What's that story one best picture? What do I got to lose right now? <laughs> you know, that could be a very interesting Oscar campaign. If you want David Fincher to win an Oscar, vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I do think Fincher will win director no matter what happens in picture. I feel actually very confident about that. I 100% agree on that. I think out of everybody that's competing in best director this year, um, with the contenders that we have like on our plate right now, um, he's the most overdue, the most high profile. He's going to get a hell of a campaign push from Netflix. It just makes the most sense. Um, anyone else other grand predictions? So the only other one that I have is that I actually don't have that much faith in Hillbilly Elegy, actually, I feel like that one is like primed to be a big Oscar contender on paper and then everybody sees it and it doesn't land. I think it could get acting nominations, but I honestly, at this point, feel like that's as far as it's going to go and not going to even win anything. I mean, it's Ron Howard, right? So, yeah, it's very it could be very hit or miss. Uh, And that's the big thing I think it has going against it. I know that he's somewhat in the club, but I feel like that invitation to him hasn't been sent out in quite some time. Yeah. Oh, the other the final one that I have here actually is. I think that. I think that Dune uh, will not score a single above the line nomination will just be a tech player. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think that people thinking that's going to do damage above the line are a bit delusional, but that's just me. <laughs> I don't think they understand the source material, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. like, OK, if it's like a technical like showcase on the level of something like Mad Max Fury Road, like can Denny get in director? Sure, maybe. But, uh, you know, I, I can't see it getting. The screenplay, I mean, that is such a tough book to crack. I just I can't even imagine it getting into adapted screenplay. Um, but by if, if by some miracle they crack that they crack that screenplay, uh, you better believe that because that book is so hard to adapt. There's a chance it might get in there. Yeah. Uh, but I just can't see it happening. I honestly think that that is the mode for most of Villeneuve's movies. And I think Arrival is the exception, honestly, and which is sort of ironic, is because of Amy Adams' performance. I think she elevated that movie into a a realm that most of his films don't get to, and I just don't really see that to be the case with something like Dune. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. You know what's a movie that I can tell you with 
all the confidence in the world is not going to get any Oscar nominations. Tesla, starring Ethan Hawke. Um, <laughs> I saw this back at Sundance, and oh boy, oh boy, did I have thoughts on this one uh, when I saw it back over there. Uh, there's a trailer that finally released this week from IFC Films. Curious to hear your thoughts on it. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Is nature a gigantic cat? And if so, who strokes its back? May I introduce the brilliant Nikola Tesla? the greatest inventor of the age. If you Google Nikola Tesla, you get 34 million results. It's basically just four pictures. Beyond that, things get murky and more imaginative. Thomas Alva Edison. You got a light? Oh, Tesla, didn't see you there before. I now have the pleasure of introducing you to a novel system of energy, alternate currents. This will transform the way the world works. No, no sparks. sparks. It's perfect. Where have you been hiding? Alternating current is a waste of time. Impractical and deadly. You live in your head. Doesn't everyone? You lack funding. Mr. Tesla thinks I owe him money. What was it, $50,000? Yes. Anne Morgan, daughter of J. Pierpont Morgan. <laughs> a woman like that can make all your dreams come true. All my dreams are true. <laughs> you want to lemonade? You work at night in a secret laboratory. You shoot lightnings from the earth to the sky. Fun to write the team, Wildcat, and I've become nothing but a mass of bloody scratches. Oh, you like being scratched? If necessary. Dream that Tessa, dream first. That is a fantastic trailer. I agree. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I, yeah. I actually dug this trailer quite a bit. It's it's a little confusing in that the like are they like doing some weird mixture of like present day at the same time as the past or something like with modern technology in the past or something. It's very weird, but like I am digging this trailer and for all that you, Matt, you've said that it's terrible. It's got a really good Rotten Tomatoes score. I think, and, I, and I've spoken to a lot of people about this. It's one of those cases where weird, different swinging for the fences worked for a lot of people. Cause it was a surprise in a lot of ways. Yeah. For me, what killed me was the narrative just wasn't strong. These these quirky moments with the technology, Ethan Hawke freaking karaoke singing to the camera, like these odd choices were those were the things that worked for me. But the story itself and the pacing of the movie, I mean, I was just bored to tears by this, honestly. No, it seems very experimental. Yeah, but I kind of dug the trailer. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I think the trailer is so well done. And the yeah. music in it is good, too. Yeah. The score they're using. The, yeah, the trailer the, lets audiences know that there's something off going on here. And it just has a vibe that allures you. Like, yeah. I'm being sucked in a little bit. It's kind of like it's putting a spell over me. It's a really good trailer. I normally don't like these types of things. 
which is why I'm shocked at how much I dug the trailer. But we'll see. I was also like taken aback by the fake backgrounds, which I'm sure you guys spotted in this trailer as well. Yeah. I like watching the movie. I was like, why? Like, did, was the budget really that low that they Why couldn't go not? on location shooting? And I just, but it looked terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm going to guess that that probably that they knew that it looked fake and it was a choice. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, it, it, this, the whole tone of it, at least from the trailer, reminded me of like Derek Jarman movies, which I'm. I really like his films and it kind of seemed like it had a similar sensibility because Jarman used to do that thing too, where he would make period pieces, but people would show up with modern uh, technology devices in it. And it was an interesting aesthetic choice and I like his stuff. And it, this trailer sort of reminded me of that. And for that alone, it got me very intrigued to, to see this movie. Hi everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the first time watchers podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiae Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut up. I wonder shut who up. the cat that can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Little bits of news here. Feel free to just give any reactions as I say them. I'll go through these very, very quickly. Uh, first and foremost, rest in peace to Oscar winner Ennio Morricone. Uh, passed away this week. And um, one of the all-time top three greatest film composers of all time, probably. Absolutely. Legend. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, Tron 3, officially uh, in development. They're hoping to bring back Joseph Krasinski, Daft Punk, and Jared Leto is in talks to star. Mm. Anyone here a fan of Tron Legacy? I have not seen them. I'm it's... a big fan of the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, Tron Legacy <laughs> is a movie that I describe as being like it has beauty but no brains like it looks gorgeous but the story is very stupid <laughs> uh jude law supposedly playing captain hook in a disney live action uh version of peter pan again <sighs> so many peter pan movies now is this the one directed by david lowry yes yes yeah okay i mean i'm not really that interested in a peter pan movie another one but I am interested in seeing more movies by David Lowry, so I'm sort of mixed on that. Give us a Green Knight A24. Give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, it It seems like, I don't know how Disney is going to adapt their Peter Pan movie so that people don't read it for filth in this day and age. Yeah, yeah I don't know. But again, yeah. I have a lot of faith in David Lowry. I actually really liked his Pete's Dragon movie. Nobody talks about it anymore. I, oh, that was that really was good. good. That was, that was really I, good. Yeah, I thought that was actually really, really well done. It was a surprise for me, too. Yeah, I, I, I expected it to just be eh, but I walked out of it and I was like, oh, that, was, that, was, that was pretty good. <laughs> I, I will say, and I made a tweet about this the other day. After seeing, once again, that another Disney uh, film that's had so many adaptations uh, for live action was being done again, I was like, where is my hunchback of Notre Dame live action film, Disney? Where Seriously. is it? <laughs> yeah. they, I'll tell you where it is. They don't think that it's a popular enough movie. Yeah. 
Well, that's where they're wrong, Daniel. I know. That's my favorite <laughs> Disney movie. I mean, I wish I they agree. would. I think it's got Alan Menken's like best score of all time, and that alone would make me go to the theater to see it. So, how about Ben Platt, Zendaya, and F. Murray Abraham? Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there was a teaser release for Halloween Kills. Uh, a release date's been pushed back to October 2021. No surprise on the pushback, but I thought the teaser was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not much, but, you know, just a little snippet, but it was effective. Yeah. I like the direction that they're taking this in, and I like that it's a planned trilogy, and who doesn't want to see more Jamie Lee Curtis? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, Lee Wanell. Apparently uh, set to uh, direct uh, another, once again, another adaptation of a property that's had so many films. The Wolfman, uh, Ryan Gosling attached to Star. Huh. I mean, he did a good job with um, Invisible Man. So, And I know that Universal is sort of taking this new direction with kind of what was to be their dark universe and going for this more like Blumhouse uh, low budget style. So if it continues in that direction, I'd be interested to see the results they have. And I, I could see Gosling carrying it off. I agree. Yeah, I just hope it's better than the uh, Del Toro one. I did not like that movie. No. Oh no. Yeah. Oscar winning Wolfman. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was Rick Baker's seventh Oscar? Yep. I think his last movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last but not least, we still need more clarification on this. I think, but. I think the debate was subtly put to bed this week. Hamilton is not eligible for the Oscars this year. It's the right decision. I'm shedding a tear. No, it's the right decision. And I feel bad because on a previous episode and even on our review, at the time we were under the assumption that it would be. And there's a lot of loopholes and a lot of things that Disney could jump through if they really, really, really wanted, but with so many barriers placed in front of them for this, I don't see, I just don't see them even bothering at this point. And I, I think it should be kept separate, personally. Will Mavity was quoted in Vanity Fair this week with a tweet where he was saying that the Kevin Hart comedy specials were eligible for Best Picture. Correct. So I don't know and what would make this eligible. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the it's Academy the, goes against its own rulings all the time like it goes against its own rules all the time and if disney wanted to and i suspect they were going to submit it the the let the academy deal with it at that point yeah the the rules that have been going around seem more like it rules it ineligible to be nominated for something like documentary feature yeah, yeah. but it didn't really seem like that disqualified it in other categories so I still feel like there's some gray area here with this, but I also sort of agree with you, Matt, that at the end of the day, I I don't know if it's really worth the effort to get it into a lot of these other categories. And a part of me thinks that maybe it shouldn't, that it is this sort of interesting hybrid of stuff that doesn't quite fit in. And I think it's okay that it doesn't quite fit in. I think we could accept that too. So I, I don't know where the future really is for it, but regardless, I really don't see it making that much of an impact anyway. It got its Tony Awards for its stage performance, and that's what this is. It's a stage mm-hmm. performance. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, And again, they're going to make a movie of this one day, and when yes. that happens, then you give it to them. Yeah. This and, is I, fine I the way it is. And it'll, it'll, it'll do well uh, next year at the end. I think that's like all short to say, like – 
I'm very, very happy if we never talk about this like ever again beyond this podcast, because at the end of the day, whether it's eligible, not eligible, who cares? It's Hamilton. The fact that it exists is good enough. Yeah, it's good. Like the fact that you can get nominated for an Oscar or not doesn't define how successful it is. Right. And Matt, you're watching it five times. So I I plan to watch it over 55 times. I'm obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, speaking of uh, something obsessive and contagious, uh, this is the trailer here for She Dies Tomorrow. Um, it is written, directed, and produced by M- uh, Amy Simitz. Um, it is being released at the end of the month by Neon. And there was uh, there was some anticipation uh, for this movie, currently sitting on Rotten Tomatoes with 100% rating uh, with five reviews so far. Uh, let's take a look at the trailer for this one and give some thoughts. Hi, how's the new house? Good. Can you come over? Uh, I I can't. Are you okay? I am going to die tomorrow. What is going on? There is no tomorrow for me. All right, listen, Amy, I'm really freaking out right now. I feel like you put this idea of dying in my head. Can can you just call me back? You expecting someone? Hello, Jane. You okay? I just have this feeling I'm going to die tomorrow. But how do you know? I just know. Okay, so you don't know. Happy birthday to you. really interesting to me um i don't know if i'm a hundred percent sold on it but it does seem like it has a very interesting premise and i'm kind of intrigued by like this dark comedic element that's sort of running through it it seems like i'm very intrigued by that amy simons did a great job on the girlfriend experience and i really have confidence she really can, can do this i'm i'm really excited to see it I love the use of the Mozart. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but the Requiem, Requiem. Yeah, I love the use of Requiem yeah. in the trailer, uh, giving it kind of this like grand uh, feel to it that feels apocalyptic and really kind of helps to put yourself like in the mindset of the lead character. I have a feeling this is going to be one of those cult classic small indie type releases that could reach the level of something like, say, It Follows. Oh, yeah, totally. It seems like it has that potential. Yeah. And also, too, like I was looking at some of the uh, cast here. You got Josh Lucas, Chris Messina, Michelle Rodriguez, Adam Wingard as well. Like hmm. there's, a, there's a couple of a couple of intriguing names in this. And, oh, by the way, the runtime, 84 minutes. Mm. Oh, pretty good. We Bless stab. you. <laughs> yeah. Bless you, Kate Brokaw, who edited this edited this film. <laughs> And uh, th- there you go, a female editor, actually, right off the bat there. So 
I'm very intrigued by this. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us... Why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. All right. Fan questions, and then we'll call it a day. Let's see what the fans had to send in for us this week. Okay, uh, Scott Kernan asks, of the following directors, writers, who do you think is most likely to win an Oscar in this decade? And in which of the two categories, writing or directing? Uh, So the list is Terrence Malick, Mariel Heller, Pete Docter, Greta Gerwig, Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, Christopher Nolan. Uh, I think I would Greta. actually say Greta Gerwig. I would say yeah, Greta, Greta, especially Greta with that tap dancing musical thing that she's doing. Maybe. Greta Gerwig in a musical? Yes. I think the most likely is... I don't want to sound... I don't want to... I, I actually do think it is Greta as well, so I agree with all of you. But, but just to add a little bit of variety here, um, I think that maybe the second person that's like the runner-up... Um, is Wes Anderson. I think Wes Anderson's definitely going to get an Oscar this decade. I mean, both of them are, like, on that trajectory. And and you can see that he has support in the Academy from the Oscars that uh, Grand Budapest won. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, his uh, nominations and animated for Isle of Dogs and uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox as well. So they like him. Um, Terrence Malick? No. Sorry. I think he's too divisive. The honorary Oscar was made for Terrence Malick. That's the way yeah. I see it. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to, for when he doesn't show up to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Accepting uh, for Mr. Malick is a bale of hay. For a like, of how great would yeah. it be if they got, like, Adrian Brody to present it to uh, Terrence Malick? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, you know what's also a possibility? Uh, Pete Doctor could theoretically maybe when screenplay this year for soul yeah, yeah. I, I, that's the thing like he was probably the most likely to but for screenplay not for director. yeah yeah mm-hmm. all righty and also too i want to just shout out with mario heller can you ever forgive me and a beautiful day in a neighborhood she's on that trajectory as well yeah yeah so good. she's doing really well mm-hmm. james scott what is your favorite piece of music by ennio morricone Ooh. That's a tough one because you go back to the spaghetti westerns, the good, bad, and the ugly, and that is so recognizable for good reason. Mm-hmm. 
But I think my favorite has to be Cinema Paradiso. Oh, that's so good. I abstain. I I think this is a cruel question, and I refuse to play. (laughs) Well, um, every time I hear his music from Once Upon a Time in America, I just begin to tear up. That's a good one. I also really like his score to um, The Untouchables. I think that's actually an underrated piece of music from him. I totally agree. Yeah, there's a real drive to that score. Um, I like the track, and I, I'm probably saying this wrong, Il Tramonto. If I remember correctly, it comes from, I think it comes from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and it was also like used in, um, I think Tarantino used it in Kill Bill Volume 2, if I remember correctly. I mean, that's a safe assumption Maybe. that Tarantino used it for funny <laughs> music somewhere. <laughs> Speaking of, though, I'm so glad that when he won his Oscar for The Hateful Eight, you know, say what you will about that movie. It is certainly not perfect, not even close. But his score is really that fantastic. That is a great score. Yeah. Also, too, and I don't remember where it originated from, but the end credits for uh, Inglorious Bastards, uh, also an Ennio Morricone track. Uh, I don't remember what movie it's from oh, originally, really? though. Yeah. Oh, then you know the dun, dun, yes. dun. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. He also had some great contributions to Django Unchained. I remember thinking he was going to get nominated for Encore Arque, the song that he had in the middle of that movie, mm. but it didn't play out that way. He still got the Oscar though. He later. still got the Oscar for Hateful Eight in the end. And listen, I, 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 I will admit, I wouldn't have voted for him that year. There was other film scores I vastly preferred to the Hateful Eight, but that was an Oscar win that I could not say no to when it happened i was like yeah, i'm yeah. very happy that he got a competitive win so and became the oldest winner of a competitive oscar at that time absolutely with uh, this one's from david mitchell baker with critics clearly going to bat for an a24 test into waters with some fyc style marketing do you see a possibility for kelly reichardt to sneak into best director or screenplay for first cow as recognition for her work over the years no way no no, no. no. that's it's not a, an oscar movie that's a hard no uh, yeah, I, I, that's one of those things where, listen, I don't confuse prediction with advocacy, and I think yeah. a lot of people want to advocate for it, but it's not, a, it's not a good prediction to make, just based on track record, and you know, not, not from her, but from the academy. The academy typically doesn't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean. Do you not see maybe screenplay maybe happening? Oh, I, I, I have it in my uh, short list. Maybe possibility. But I'm not I'm not willing to go that far. Okay, Richard Houlihan. Do you think due to COVID-19 next year's Oscars may turn out the same way as the 2008 Golden Globes did during the writer's strike? No ceremony, no stars, just people announcing the winners during a press conference. That's a very interesting point. I think that, you know, we're going to see the Emmys most likely virtual. But the difference between having no stars there and having it be like a press conference is that in 2008, it was because of the strike and that you you couldn't have the talent there. So it was just very straightforward. They were the winners. If we do have a virtual Oscar cast, then I think you're still going to see celebrities, but just through Zoom or Skype or however they choose to record it. We'll see. April is a very long ways off, but it would at least have more, you know, pizzazz to it than that Golden Globe press conference. Yeah, I think there is too much at stake for the Oscars to just do like a press conference. I feel like that's something you can sort of get away with, with the globes, but I feel like you can't do that with the Oscars. They need to come up with something else that has some kind of 
mimicry of the glitz and glam that they like to do, even if it's not totally that. I, I think they need to mm-hmm. they need to be invested in something like that. They can't just have people on stage with just them and reading off names. That that's not the Oscars. Yeah, and ABC wouldn't stand for it. Yeah. Jacob Kleinberg asks, what is the best movie you never saw in theaters, as in the film experience was at home? Those are two different questions. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think the way, because uh, here's the thing, as soon as I saw this too, I also like thought to myself, there are so many classic movies that I never saw in a movie theater that I watched at home that are some of the best movies ever made. I mean, I could, I, I could say so many. Yeah, it's like favorite best movie that I've seen at home or best experience watching something that I've had at home. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this answer is a little bit of a cheat because I did eventually see this movie in theaters, but the first time I saw it wasn't in theaters. And that is Titanic, which I, I remember yeah, seeing that movie. I think I was like eight years old and um, we had the VHS of it. And I think it was like over at a relative's place and just being so captivated by everything that was happening in that movie. I remember bawling like two or three times, like heavy crying as like an eight year old watching Titanic. And it's a moment that has always stuck with me, even all these years later. Same. I remember watching Titanic and I remember the moment where you have to change the videos moment i was like that's it and my dad's like no we have to put in another one don't worry and yeah, every time i see that movie now when that line comes up i'm always expecting it to go to black because that's like, I, know, I know where the the moment is where the tape would yeah. stop yeah i vividly remember that in awe of that film from start to finish and I do remember as soon as I found out it was being re-released, I went to my family and I was like, we're all seeing this. I have to see this on the big screen. We all have to see this on the big screen. This is a movie we all have to see. Mm-hmm. And I will say I also saw James Cameron's going to be a theme here. I remember watching Terminator <laughs> 2 for the first time. And I saw that at home, obviously, because I wasn't alive when that came out. And just seeing that film as a whole was absolutely amazing. I was really young. It was me, my dad, and my brother. Probably a little too young for it, but we were just in awe the entire time. And like watch and at the end like my dad, all three of us were crying. And it was really weird seeing, you know, your father crying during a movie. So that was really interesting. But I love James Cameron. He's great. So those two are big for me. Luca Gilberti uh, asks why do you think Oscar voters are so hesitant to reward a movie, whether it be for a craft or for a performance, when it isn't a Best Picture nominee? My 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 easy answer to that, uh, Luca, is if it's not a Best Picture nominee, that's a clear indication that not enough voting members saw the movie then. Enough voting members saw it to get it a nomination, but maybe not a win then. Yeah, and they tend yeah. to go with their favorites. So, you know, if they have that list of Best Picture nominees, that means they really like those films. And they're usually trying to check off the list saying, oh, we want to give some love to this movie. And then we have to spread the love to that one. Occasionally, you do see, actually, I should say more than occasionally, uh, often you see out of the four acting awards, at least one film is not a Best Picture nominee. But outside of that, like when it comes to screenplay and other above the line categories, you don't really see them break away from the pack. Yeah. And that's especially become even more yeah. apparent with the expanded lineup. You know, I, I think that you're right, Matt, that the Best Picture nomination usually just means that more people have seen it. And obviously, with 
one individual category, you're just talking about that branch nominating those movies, but everybody right. votes on Best Picture. So if it has a corresponding Best Picture nomination, that means that more people have seen it, more people tend to like it. And I think that it just happens to break that way when it comes to the winners. From that CM guy, 1988, in honor of Netflix's The Old Guard, which is a surprisingly good action movie, what are you guys ultimately, what, here we go, the, worded a little differently, but they, here you go. What is your guilty pleasure action movie? Hmm. Hancock. Oh, wow, Hancock. I haven't even wow. thought about that movie in so a long good. time. I love it. I love it so much. That's a much. good movie. So I have a very, like, kind of big soft spot for Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. <laughs> I actually... I, I was going to say the same thing. I think his movies are actually, like, way better than anything that Schwarzenegger or Stallone did in the 80s. I think he's, like, really... <laughs> I, I actually really enjoy watching his movies. Um, <laughs> and I think the best of them, for me, and it's, like, it's such a cheesy movie, but I love Time Cop. Oh, Time Cop is good. Time Cop. I, I was going to actually go even more old school and say I fucking love Bloodsport. It's, it's good, too. It's so stupid, but I, it's so much fun. It's so it's so 80s. <laughs> Mine's probably Independence Day. That's a fun movie. Yeah. yeah. My, my, my one is kind of cheating because it's a musical or an action movie. Um, it's Walter Hill's Streets of Fire. Ooh. Ooh. Been meaning to check that out recently, actually. It's pretty cool. It's a one of a kind. I mean, Walter Hill, very interesting director. Yeah. See, I'm thinking through because all the action movies that I like are genuinely good movies. I don't know of one that I would consider like a guilty pleasure, you know, semi bad movie. Like if I said Mad Max, we all agree that's a masterpiece. Right. So. Uh, I'll just say go watch Mad Max again, honestly. Um, I am going to say Deep Blue Sea. Oh, oh I love Deep Blue Sea. It is so bad, but my God, is it so entertaining. I don't know if it's bad. It, I don't it think it's what it that needs terrible. To be. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. Like it's it knows it's a, it's, you know, a creature feature. Like it, it knows what it needs to be. Yeah. You ate my bird. <laughs> it was the lighter. Incredible. We're not talking about the Terrence Davies movie. No. 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 Uh, oh, and I have to mention this because um, I've, I've said it on the podcast before, but Armageddon is a guilty pleasure through and through. Yeah. <laughs> In that line, also, The Rock. Yeah. yeah. Con Air. Connery, man. <laughs> the Rock is actually pretty good, though, I think. The Rock is insane. <laughs> And then uh, if we're just going to keep, oh, you know what? Oh, well, this is actually maybe, a, I don't know. You guys tell me, is this a genuinely good movie or is it like a so cheesy it's awesome movie? I think it's probably the latter, but Face Off. Oh, Face Face Off is a genuinely good movie, but it's also completely batshit insane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good piece of Velveeta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to end it with even May. Even May sent in a couple of different categories here. I'm not going to go through all of them. We're only going to go through three. So a lot of people point to 1967 as the year that changed movies forever. So Even May has submitted uh, us to replace the weakest nominee from the categories that he sent in and choose who should be there instead. And we'll start off with Best Director for 1967. And in that category, we had... Norman Jewison for In the Heat of the Night, Richard Brooks for In Cold Blood, Stanley Kramer for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, 
Arthur Penn for Bonnie and Clyde and Mike Nichols, the Oscar winner for The Graduate. Ooh. Um, uh, I'm removing Stanley Kramer. I am too. I mean, I like all of these directors, but yeah. I think he is the weakest. Yeah. I would, I would remove, and replace him with... Uh, oh, um, I... Okay, so my actual choice, I don't know if it's 67 or 68 or some other year, but I, I, I'm i not just going with, I'm just not going to do it, because I really like um, Terrence Young for Wait Until Dark. Mm-hmm. I am also taking out Stanley Kramer, even though I really like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and replacing him with Stanley Donnan for Two for the Road. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm replacing Stanley Kramer. Sorry, Stanley. Uh, with Stuart Rosenberg for Cool Hand Luke. Ooh, that's good. And I'm replacing yeah. Stanley Kramer with Michelangelo Antonioni for Blow Up. Oh! Ooh, I'm seconding that. Oh, yeah. Blow Up was that year? Seconding. Yeah, December of 67. Oh. Yeah, that might have that's... to be my answer, too. Because the first one I was looking at was yeah, um, Melville for Les Samurai, but I'm not sure if that was actually released in the States in 67. Yeah, that was my thing. I was going to do Jacques Tati for Playtime, but... Yeah, uh, same thing. 67 or I'm reading right now that Blow Up was released in December of 1966 in the U.S. Oh. Time's not real. Okay, let me let me check. But goddamn, that would have been a great choice. <laughs> On Letterboxd at 66, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, release dates for movies back then are sort so of crazy. weird. So yeah. weird. Yeah. I can't believe Michael didn't say to producers. I was going to say 68. Damn it. It was 67. No, it won the Oscar in 68. It's uh-huh. a 67 movie because it premiered somewhere in 67, but it if you look at Oscar, you're at 68. Yes, that's when Mel Brooks won original screenplay. Yeah. All right. Next up Best Actor. Spencer Tracy, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Paul Newman, Cool Hand Luke, Dustin Hoffman, The Graduate, Warren Beatty, Bonnie and Clyde, Oscar winner Rob Steiger for In the Heat of the Night. I don't want to take it away from any of them. I don't either, but if I'm going to, I think I'm going to actually say Spencer Tracy. Yeah, like if I'm forced, I have to say Spencer Tracy, but I also like can't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take it from Warren Beatty and replace him with uh, Sidney Poitier for In the Heat of the Night. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I have to, it's to replace, it's going to be with Spencer. I mean, with Sidney. With Sidney. Yeah. I, I, Spencer Tracy is the weakest, but I, I can't, I can't take it away from him. I can't, I can't do it. I feel better taking out Warren Beatty, an actor, knowing that he still gets the nomination for Best Picture. But he's so good in Bonnie and Clyde. And he is, absolutely. It's a terrific lineup. But Spencer Tracy, you know, he died. He wasn't anywhere else. Nobody <laughs> wanted to. Well, there you go. I'm still I'm still thinking. I feel like we're all in agreeing that we're putting City Sydney in. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's like who's who's gonna go? Where are we going? I, I am going with Sydney, but I just don't I'm just I'm, I'm I feel like there's something that I'm grossly overlooking right now, and I can't think of what it is. Well, you could do my runner-up, which would have been Albert Finney in Two for the Road. <sighs> yeah, I could. No, I'd rather go with Sydney. I like him in that movie. I mean, he had a hell of a year in '67 too. Yeah. Mm. And then the last one, Best Supporting Actress, Catherine Ross, The Graduate, B- 
Bia Richards, guess who's coming to dinner? Mildred uh, Natwick for Barefoot in the Park, Carol Channing, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and Estelle Parsons for Bonnie and Clyde. I'll take Catherine out. Ooh, I can't do that. I actually think she's my winner for that category. <laughs> really? She doesn't do much. I really I'm totally like her okay in that movie, though. Out. I can totally take her out. Um, this is a really good lineup. Where am I going to put her? Who am I going to put her? I would replace probably Mildred Natwick. No. Wait, I know you'd say that. Um, <laughs> but, but I would replace her with... Um, with Lee Grant and in the heat of the night. Yes. Yeah. I, I I'm putting Lee Grant in there in place of Catherine Ross, even though I think she's terrific in the graduate, but that is a really great lineup, including Carol Channing and her delivery of. Right. God, I was going to say, if anyone says Carol Channing, I'm going to have to force her to sit down and actually no. watch this movie because she's brilliant. Well, Muzzy, <laughs> yeah, no. Gotta love Muzzy. In her own way. Yeah. Honestly though, for me, I think I would remove the Oscar winner. I think I would actually take out Estelle Parsons. I'm feeling that too, Josh. What? Yeah. I don't get the love for that performance. I just. I'm the same way. I don't understand it. My mouth is dropped. (laughs) (laughs) I love Bonnie and Clyde. I think it's a great movie, but I I just don't understand why there is so much love for her in that movie. I, I really do not get it. I just don't know who to replace her with. The only one that really kind of stood out for me, apart from like what other people have said, is um, Isabel Sanford in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I really liked her in that movie. Yeah, I don't know why. It's yeah, she could go in. Her mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Isabel Sanford, of course. Yeah. I never know why it was B. Richards instead of her. Like, And I I mean, I, I know why. I've read pictures yeah. of her, so I know why. But like, she's not that great. They're both. I think B. Richards has one of the great moments in that movie. That she monologue. Has, yeah, Sanford has so many great scenes with Sydney yeah, too. But Louise Jefferson, Oscar nominee Louise Jefferson. Who doesn't want to see that? Would have been great. Wheezy. Oh. Yes, Wheezy. <laughs> <laughs> Wheezy and Muzzy. <laughs> all right, everyone. That'll do it here for uh, this week's episode here of the Next Best Picture podcast. Thank you all so so very much, Michael. Where can they follow you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Lauren Lamagna. You guys can follow me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. Josh Parham. I am on Twitter at JR Parham. Rebecca Daniel. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Daniel95. And Tom O'Brien. And I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 202 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Write us a comment. You know, Tell us that you love the show. If you do, I really would appreciate that. So would the rest of the team here as well. Five-star rating. Anything less than that is suspect. <laughs> and if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for one dollar minimum a month you can get some exclusive podcast content from us including uh episodes for next best theater we do award show uh reactions on there which will be coming hopefully (laughs) soon and also um our retrospective reviews uh throwback reviews uh 2014 is starting to wrap up Uh, we have one more month after july for that and saving some of the best movies uh for last Uh, we have upcoming fury of everything interstellar boyhood 
Birdman, and Gone Girl. So it should be a very, very fun next couple of weeks, all culminating in our 2014 MVP Film Community Awards, which you all will get a chance to vote on in the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.